Welcome to the first and football show folks. We're back. We made it through week three of the college season week two, of the NFL season's wrapping up. So we're back with a little bit of reactions this week. Logan, how are we doing this week, man? Uh, Wake Forest is still three and oh, so we're, we're chugging along. So you, you want to still talk about Wake Forest, even though they uh, almost made us look like idiots. Hey, you know what? It's a two half game, but if you look at that first half, there's a lot of, there's, you can be excited about a lot right there. Um, I know, I know you, you were blowing me up, man. What was it, five sacks in the first half? I felt like it was three drives in a row. They were punting on, like, fourth and 25. I mean, they really dominated that whole first half. You know, Wake Forest has the offense to do it this year. Uh, you know, let's just start there. Sam Hartman, can he can play with just about anyone in the country, but I do kind of have to start worrying about – and I guess let's give Liberty some credit. Liberty's a legit program. You know, Hugh Freeze is their head coach. He's a former coach at Ole Miss who had Ole Miss, you know, at a very high level. So Hugh Freeze is a very capable head coach and Liberty is a up and coming program, but I worry a little bit about wake because wake's got some tough matchups coming up. I didn't like what I saw from them in the second half. I know you're going to tell me, Hey, they won the dreams alive, but what, what are you still feeling confident? I mean, I was a little worried too. I mean, you, you gotta worry anytime you let a team come back like that. Um, but I think the dream's alive. I mean, this week is the week to define their season. If they can pull up, I mean, you call it an upset of Clemson. Um, I like their chances, you know. Uh, Clemson's offenses look shaky at times. So if Wake Forest comes out um, defensively like they did in the first half of Liberty, I don't think Clemson's going to be able to move the ball much. The thing that does worry me a little bit is Clemson's defense. They are legit. They are dirty. And I think they're going to give Sam Hartman a lot of issues, but I think they're going to be able to work around that and still get some points on the board. You know, and Clemson probably has one of the best D lines in the country. And I'm a little worried about Wake Forest because Wake Forest couldn't run the football at all against Liberty. Sam Hartman, their quarterback, was their leading rusher in the football game. He had eight carries for 11 yards. It's not good. And when you're going against a vaunted defensive front like Clemson, concern a little bit, but like you alluded to, Clemson's offense is terrible, and Wake Forest can throw the football. Hartman went over 300 yards again, so I expect Wake to at least put up 30. So I, I will give it to you. I'm not. I'm not going to press the panic button yet. Let's see how they look this weekend. But let's talk about Clemson a little bit because you know Clemson did beat Louisiana Tech. It was tight there. It was a two-score game in the fourth quarter. Clemson did end up pulling away, but again, I still have the same concern. That offense does not look good. You know. The quarterback play is subpar at best. There was never, you know, to me, when you're playing Louisiana Tech and you're Clemson, you need to dominate. And Clemson didn't really dominate until late in the game. So I worry a lot about Clemson. The other ACC team that we love here on this show is Syracuse. And you want to talk about Wake Forest giving us a heart attack. I came on this show last week and said Syracuse was going to handle Purdue. And it took a late touchdown with seven seconds left for Syracuse to pull out a 32-29 win against Purdue. Did you actually see the touchdown play they won on? I, I did watch it. Um, I, I was in disbelief. I really thought that was Purdue's game to win. Um, but that, it was a crazy catch. I'll give it to him. I'll, I'll give it to Syracuse for pulling that one off. 
You know, and the one thing I was worried about with Syracuse was Purdue's quarterback, Aiden O'Connell. He's an established veteran quarterback. He's played a lot of games in the Big Ten, and he went 39 of 56, 424 yards and three touchdowns, lit up the Syracuse defense. You know, Syracuse's quarterback struggled. Garrett Schrader, who had been playing really well up until that point, only goes 13 to 29 for 181 yards, but he had 83 yards on the ground. And when it mattered most, he threw a 25 yard game winning touchdown. So, you know, we talked about it doesn't matter how you win, you just need to win with Wake Forest. Syracuse does the same thing. So glad to see them, you know, making us look somewhat intelligent. Another ACC team, you know, we talked a little bit about them before we started recording here is uh, Florida State. 3-0 and now, man. 3-0. and They get an ACC win against Louisville, 35-31. And say whatever you want about Louisville not being that great of a program. I don't know if you've seen much of Louisville starting quarterback Malik Cunningham, but the dude can run the football. May not be the best passer, but one of the best runners in college football. Well, I think that's definitely what won them the game against UCF. I mean, that was a big win for them as well, to go to UCF and win on the road, because I think only – two teams in the last few years have actually won there and they won it in a pretty good fashion. I mean, it was an interesting game, low scoring, um, but pull off a win like that's pretty incredible for that program. Um, I mean, it's a pretty good win for Florida state, you know, I mean, they got to build their program back up. Um, they're still getting some talent in their team, but you really started from scratch a couple years ago and it, it's going to take them a while to get back to where they were. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but I mean, you got to schedule some wins that you can count on. And, you know, they're probably going to get to four and zero this weekend. They play Boston college who started the year off with a loss to Rutgers. But then after that, let's say you beat Boston college, you have a murderer's row three in a row. You're home against wake forest. You are at NC state. And then you're home against Clemson. That could feasibly be three straight losses for Florida state. So really Florida state needs to win all these give me games because the ultimate goal is to have a winning record, get to a bowl game if you're a team like Florida State. And that next three stretch is probably all going to be all losses. You know, we talked a little bit about Rutgers and Kansas on the last episode, and I talked about how who would have thought those two teams could go 3-0. and Well, they're both 3-0, and man. Rutgers beat Temple 16-14, to and Kansas put the smack down on Houston. Now, I'm not saying either of those teams are going undefeated, but hey, We've got Rutgers undefeated. They could beat Iowa this weekend, and we could have a matchup of undefeated teams if Ohio State beats Wisconsin in two weeks when Ohio State plays Rutgers. Could Rutgers potentially go undefeated this year, man? <laughs> That's funny. Do they play – are they at Iowa or are they at Rutgers? So that is a home game for Rutgers. It's Rud- – Because that's uh, a big difference First, having to play in Iowa, playing at home. Not that they're going to – I mean, they might have a pretty decent crowd because they're 3-0, and but not having to play in front of that Hawkeye crowd is going to be a huge plus for them. You know, what's crazy to me is I'm looking at the early line, you know, and I, I think we've become the Degenerate Gambler podcast here as well, but Iowa's seven-and-a-half point favorites against Rutgers, and I just don't know that Iowa's offense is good enough to uh, have a touchdown favorite over anybody right now. So I might, might put some money on that Rutgers one if uh, we – make it back down to West Virginia anytime soon. But, you know, that, you know, those are kind of the sleeper games we wanted to talk about. I know you said that you had your eyes on that Notre Dame Cal game. 
And man, Notre Dame just does not look good. They pull it out 24-17. But what did you see in that first half that had you so convinced that Cal was going to win that? I mean, Cal was moving the ball pretty well. Um, so even when they were up, they were still driving down the field looking pretty good, shutting them, Notre Dame down on um, offense. Uh, Notre Dame's run game looked pretty decent. I mean, they broke it open. As combined, they had 112 yards. Um, with a rushing touchdown so nothing crazy but at some points they were able to move the ball a little bit oh I'm sorry they had 147 rushing yards I lied um but if I don't know if you watched it but Pine getting absolutely Drew Pine getting absolutely fired up from his uh offensive coordinator in the middle of the game just getting screamed at um is a perfect uh video to describe Notre Dame right now I really thought they were going to be 0 and 3 um, but watching Kyle really, I mean, it's just if you let a team stay in the game, they're going to perform and they're going to give you some challenge. So throughout that whole first half and Kyle went in the locker room with the lead and I thought it was going to be Kyle's game. You know, and you talked about that video of Notre Dame offensive coordinator Tommy Reese absolutely, you know, lighting up Drew Pine. You know, Tommy Reese played at Notre Dame. He was a former quarterback for Notre Dame. And I, I know everybody's up in arms because, oh, he cussed out the quarterback. For one, you were a kicker in college, correct? Yeah. Did you ever get cussed at? That's, I mean, it's the norm. Yeah. I mean, and what he said was essentially we're not going to throw the words out there because, you know, we are a family-friendly podcast here. But basically what he said was, man, come on, get it together. We need you. And he was accurate. I, I think Pine only threw for like 150 yards in that game. And basically what the coach is saying is, dude, if we want to win this year, you've got to be better. And Pine, you know, he's 17 to 23, only 150 yards, two touchdowns. That's just not going to get it done when they still have to play teams like Clemson, USC, North Carolina, you know, even BYU still on their schedule. So I'm not, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't feel good about Notre Dame's a fa- one point favorite against North Carolina at North Carolina. Carolina but I like North Carolina in that game I like BYU I really I mean the question I have now is what puts Marcus Freeman on the hot seat so quick in his his uh early head coaching career I mean I mean I do have to agree with you if if Notre Dame cannot come out here and you know what do you think what would be the record that you would say "Ooh, this is where we have to wonder is Marcus Freeman the guy there I mean I'm looking at their schedule right now and I honestly believe they might only win three more games. So what you've got them UNLV I, and Stanford. I got them able to beat UNLV. I got them able to beat Navy and Boston College. I'm um, iffy on Stanford. Stanford's hit or miss. They can really play if they show up. Um, Syracuse. I mean, they're playing at Syracuse. That's your team right there. But they're not beating USC. They're not beating Clemson. They're not beating BYU. I don't think they're beating North Carolina. I really think they're going to be three and nine this year. And I think Marcus Freeman might be lucky to keep his job. But starting next season, if he drops the ball like an 0-2 start, he might be gone. I definitely agree with you that they're going to struggle this year. I don't know if three and nine. I think maybe we're hating on them too much. I mean, North Carolina is going to be tough because North Carolina can score. BYU going to be tough, although BYU looked pretty bad against Oregon this past week. Stanford's a toss-up. I lean Notre Dame there, 
just because of how bad Stanford looked against USC, but Notre Dame hasn't looked good at all yet. UNLV, I would say UNLV, Navy, and Boston College are definite wins for Notre Dame. So that puts you at, what, four wins? So we're talking about a four, maybe five-win football team. At best, they're going to be probably six and six this year, I'd say. I mean, Stanford was still able to move the ball in USC. I mean, I'm pretty sure how many points they scored. They scored at least like 20 points um, possibly in that first half, if I'm remembering right. And they did move the ball really where where the struggle was with Stanford couldn't stop the USC offense at all. But kind of like we've alluded to, Notre Dame doesn't have an offense this year. Yeah, they can't move the ball at all. And that's what's really going to struggle against all these teams. If you can't move the ball, create any offense, you're putting so much on that defense and they're not going to hold the entire game, especially against some of the high-powered offenses they're going to come up against. You know, we were talking about some high-powered offenses. Let's talk about our hometown Buckeyes, man. Ohio State, you know, I know it was Toledo, but they put 77 on Toledo. They beat Toledo 77-21. to C.J. Stroud, another very solid performance. Marvin Harrison Jr., Egmeka Buka, all turned in very good performances. Stroud had five touchdown passes, went 22-27 for 367 yards. Egbuka with seven catches for 116 at a touchdown. I mean, really loved seeing it, you know, what Ohio State's offense did. You know, there was times where the defense didn't look great. You know, Toledo's quarterback, Finn, he he was a dual threat for sure. And when he got out and scrambled, he could make some things happen, throwing the ball downfield, you know. But this was the type of performance we needed to see from Ohio State. Just come out and punch a team in the mouth offensively and leave no doubt. How'd you feel watching that game? I got a couple of takes here. I mean, Jayba Smith, I mean, he might be able to move out of the way. If Marvin Harrison's looking really good right now, I mean, if, if it's NFL draft time right now, I might be taking Marvin Harrison over Smith. Um, they're, I mean, it is a super talented wide receiver room right now for them, and that's a blessing for them because they just have so many weapons. But what about Dallin Hayden coming out? He had a bulk of the carries, which was a little um, – unexpected after Henderson got hurt I believe in the first half 17 carries 108 yards averaging 6.4 yards I mean that's pretty good if you ask me it just shows that the depth that Ohio State has and that the guys are able to come off the bench and really perform at a high level um again I mean I know it's Toledo but still to come out and do that to another division one team um FBS team is amazing I mean they had 281 yards rushing combined well I mean that's that's crazy you know, you look at a guy like Dallin Hayden, that's a true freshman out of Memphis, Tennessee, a guy who in spring bowl, people were talking a lot about because he had such a vaunted high school career. You know, let's give the Toledo defense some credit. You have Dallas Gant, the former Buckeye on that defensive line. Dallas Gant coming into that game was third in the entire Mac in tackles for loss. You know, a lot of people believe Toledo's probably one of the premier standards in the MAC, you know, Toledo was undefeated coming into that game. Now, granted, their two wins were against Long Island and UMass, but Toledo shut out Long Island and only gave up 10 against UMass. So that defense had played stout against the mid major competition. You know, you talked about could Marvin Harrison Jr. be, you know, a higher draft pick currently than Smith and Jigba. And that's actually not a crazy thing. You know, I know a lot of people are going to hear that and go, all you know recency bias but look at marvin harrison jr's size he's 6'4 205 
and is a legit freak when it comes to contorting his body, how he can run after the catch, all those things. Smith and Jigba is 6'1", 200, and I think that might be generous. I don't know that he's actually that big. Marvin Harrison is a legit freak physically, and it's showing on the field. Um, I, I am absolutely in love with this receiving core. We saw Ballard make some plays for Ohio State. Julian Fleming had a couple touchdowns. There's really not a weakness in the receiving core. I still worry a little bit about the offensive line, and we'll see how it looks against Wisconsin this week. Are you worried at all about Ohio State against Wisconsin? I know Wisconsin's quarterback, Graham Mertz, cannot really move the football whatsoever, but does that Wisconsin defense scare you at all? Well, I mean, they, Wisconsin kind of rebounded back there. Before I get into that, though, I do want to give a little shout out here. Daquan Finn for Toledo. I don't know about you, but watching him play quarterback the entire game, he has got some talent. I know he transferred in. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it was Michigan State. But, I right. mean, the guy had a 97.9 QBR rating. That's pretty impressive. He not only did have 153 yards passing, but the guy had 70 yards rushing. I mean, he averaged 10 yards per rush. He was able to move out of the pocket and cause a lot of chaos for Ohio State, which Ohio State in the last few years against a scrambling quarterback has just really suffered and has struggled to contain them inside the pocket. And Finn really exploited that a little bit um, throughout that game. But to jump to Wisconsin, I'm not too worried about it. Um, they play at Ohio State, which is what you want. Um, you don't want to play at the big house. Wisconsin bounced back after that rough loss to Washington State last week playing New Mexico um, State and really put it on them. But, again, it's New Mexico State. It's as if they should be putting those kind of numbers on them. I think I the think one I thing – I'll say, though, with that Wisconsin game, I know it's New Mexico State, but listen to these passing numbers. This is New Mexico State's leading passer, okay? A guy by the name of Gavin Frakes. Gavin Frakes is from Norman, Oklahoma, and I'm saying his name twice because I'm just reassuring myself that this is a real human. But Gavin Frakes against Wisconsin went 3 of 10 for 66 yards and two interceptions. To be their leading passer, Gavin Frakes had a QBR of 1.8. And that was the leading passer for New Mexico State. Now, New Mexico State is 0-4, and they've not won at all this year. You know, got beat by Nevada 23-12, got shut out by Minnesota, and lost to UTEP by a touchdown coming into that game. But I will say that just tells me this Wisconsin defense is legit. Um, and I do worry about the Ohio State offensive line. Want to look at some other scores, you know. We saw Washington State continue their impressiveness, you know, the, albeit against Colorado State, but still 38-7. to And another Big Ten team, you know, I called the upset here on the show. Michigan State goes to Washington and gets manhandled. I know the final score is 39-28, to but the game was never really that close. You know, Michael Penix Jr., the Indiana transfer quarterback for Washington, he went 24-40 for 397 and four touchdowns. You know, Peyton Thorne, he looked really good for Michigan State, you know, 30-42, 323, and three touchdowns. But Michigan State's defense could not hang with Washington's offense. And really just – it was a game that I felt confident about Washington's ability to move the football, not so confident about Michigan State's offense. And that kind of shone through. You know, we talked a little bit before we started filming. You and I both kind of thought that UTSA would give Texas a game. Um, and they did. You know, UTSA really was there with Texas for a lot of the game, but Texas is running back Bijan Robinson. 
you know, Bijan's probably going to be a top 10 pick in the draft. Dude had 20 carries for 183 yards and three touchdowns. The guy is a legit tank. You know, I thought Ohio State might have the best running back in the country with Travion Henderson, but Bijan is special. So those were kind of the games that I wanted to highlight. You know, Georgia blew out South Carolina. And, you know, I the one thing with Georgia is, you know, South Carolina, all I really saw was Spencer Rattler's not, not the guy. I he mean, hasn't been the guy since he stepped foot on college campus. I mean, but, you know, everybody said, oh, he's transferring to South Carolina. This is his fresh start. The dude in his first SEC game went 13-25 for 118 yards and two interceptions. When things get tough, Spencer Rattler just folds. I mean, he's never been able to come up under pressure and perform. He's never been able to play the big teams and do anything. I mean, that's why Caleb Williams had such a hype around him is because he got the opportunity to play because Spencer Rattler was just not just underperforming. You know, and you talked a little bit about Caleb Williams. You alluded to him there, so we will talk about the USC game, just a brief moment. You know, Williams, again, 25-37, 284 yards and two touchdowns. USC continuing to hum right along. A&M in Miami, we'd be a little remiss if we didn't at least acknowledge the fact that the U is not back. They're not back at all. They could not score a touchdown there in College Station. They lost 17-9. to But I forgot about one game, and I got to give you the floor here because uh, Florida Gators, they uh, almost lose to South Florida, man. Final score of 31-28, and South Florida turned it back to the days of Quentin Flowers at quarterback or B.J. Daniels at quarterback back when Charlie Strong was their head coach and they actually had some talent. I mean, now mind you, South Florida's leading passer was 12 for 28 for 116 yards and two picks, no touchdowns, and they still almost won. Here's my first thing. Can you believe the Florida Gators are a ranked program? They're a top 25 team in the country. They're starting quarterback Anthony Richardson. People are talking like he's an NFL prospect. The man is yet to throw a touchdown this year. He has not thrown a single touchdown this year. He went 10 of 18 for 112 yards and two picks. On the year, he's got 423 passing yards and four interceptions and a QBR of 35.9. Can we get Florida out of the top 25 and just keep them out now? I mean, their offense is – they perform with well with rushing. I mean, if you look at their rushing numbers, 217 yards rushing, and it just kind of dawned on me is – there's a – Travis Etienne's brother – um, named Trevor at Florida. Is that his brother? Yeah, yeah. His his right. brother it is on me now. Um, but yeah, no, their quarterback. I was about to even give him the benefit of saying he's a roller coaster, but he hasn't even hit that uphill yet. He's zero touchdowns, four interceptions, a QBR rating of eleven point six. I mean, their their run game has absolutely carried them through these wins. Um, but when they get in this SEC play. That's, that's not going to be able to fly. You're going to be able to have to throw the ball in these dynamic defenses. Teams like Alabama and Georgia, even though I don't think they play Georgia, I could be wrong, um, are going to just stomp them in the run game. And then when they can't throw the ball, they're just going to suffer even more. They do play Georgia. They don't play Alabama. But here's but, my thing with Florida. You know, Florida's got a capable backup. Jack Miller the third. you know – He's an Arizona high school prospect. But the reason I bring up Jack Miller is because last year, Jack Miller was with the Buckeyes. He was in kind of that three-man QB battle in camp with C.J. Stroud, Kyle McCord, and then there was Jack Miller. Jack Miller realized McCord kind of had a strangled hold on the backup job, so he transfers down to Florida. 
And, you know, Florida Billy Napier, he gives the job to Anthony Richardson. Richardson's looked terrible. I'd like to see what Jack Miller could do at quarterback for Florida, specifically because Florida this week plays Tennessee. And Tennessee looks like a legit football team this year. Tennessee, Hooker, their quarterback, Hayden Hooker, the dude has thrown for 844 yards and six touchdowns with no interceptions, taking really good care of the football. Their defense looks legit. They're able to run the football. And then after Tennessee, you get some tune-ups with Eastern Washington and Missouri. But then you've got Georgia. You've got A&M. You know, this could be a Florida team that maybe ends up with three, four losses this year. Yeah, no, I don't see them finishing inside the top 25 um, unless they can change things around on that offense. I mean, they're about to play the their conference games, and they play one of the tougher conferences in college football. So I really see them about to struggle unless they can turn some of this, um, some of their issues around. I mean, that Utah win was big, um, but I see their games coming up now far and few between where they're going to be pulling stuff off like that. You know, in that Utah game, I feel has been slightly overhyped here for a little bit now just because it was at Florida. It's week one. I, I'm a little over that Utah game, if we're being honest. You know, I want to look at, you know, some of the teams in the top 25 now. We got Georgia, you know, Georgia, Michigan, Clemson, Ohio State, Bama. That top five all stayed the same. Texas did drop a spot down to 20. The U is stum- somehow still in the top 25 there at 25. And Oregon made a massive jump to 15. We got Arkansas and Kentucky in the top 10 now. You know, NC State, your uh, Wolfpack, sitting there at 12. They got a nice win against Texas Tech. I'm going to give them credit. They didn't look great, but that was a Texas Tech team who was coming off a top 25 win against Houston. So I'll give credit where credit is due. And Washington, after beating up on Michigan State's in the top 25 now at 18. You know, Penn State, I I do feel like we have to talk about Penn State because they hosted a big recruit. You and I were talking about this recruit, this quarterback that they had in, a guy by the name of Chad Powers, man. I know his 40 time wasn't impressive. Chad Powers running a 5-4-40. But uh, Chad Powers could come for that, uh, you know, Sean Clifford spot next year. Enlighten us on who exactly Chad Powers is for the Penn State Nittany Lions. Chad Powers runs a dynamic 5.4 40 uh, yard dash, um, absolute speed. Um, looked the same as he did in the Giants uniform, though. Eli Manning trying to get back into the college game, get some NIL deals. It, and it was funny, folks. If you haven't seen the video we're referring to, Eli Manning uh, decided to play a little prank on some Penn State guys and uh, had the worst nose job I've ever seen and quite possibly the best 80s. He reminded me a lot of Uncle Rico from the movie Napoleon Dynamite with that hair. Um, But let me tell you, once that ball came out, you know, as he said, if you look up arm power in the dictionary, Chad Powers right there, man. It was a a funny video to watch. If you haven't seen it, you got to go check it out. But let's switch gears to the NFL because the NFL absolutely just, as you said earlier, This is professional football on any given day. Anyone can win. But I got to start with the Cleveland Browns because that's the game I felt the strongest about. The Browns lose 31-30 to the Jets. And let me just start with the fact you have a 13-point lead with a minute 55 left. And you don't win that football game. That's pathetic. They made Joe Flacco look like a superstar. We turned the clock back to 2012 Joe Flacco. Um, Garrett Wilson looked absolutely amazing for the Jets, you know, the Jets could do no wrong offensively. And everyone's talking about, well, why didn't Nick Chubb just go down? If he would have gone down, the game would have been over. 
you had a 13-point lead. Nick Chubb does not need to go down. Denzel Ward in the secondary just needs to communicate and not let Corey Davis run wide open for a 60, what was it, a 66-yard touchdown? I mean, 66-yard touchdown. You know, and I, I hyped up Cade York the week before. I said he's the best kicker in Ohio now. And then what's he do? He goes and misses an extra point wide left that ended up being a very decisive thing. You know, I'm not going to put all of it on him because, like I said, the defense still needed to hold. But this is a tough one for the Browns who are coming on. You know, they got to play Thursday night football this week against the Steelers, who also lost. But th- this is one that's probably going to sting for a while, I'd say. I mean, I, one, one big takeaway I have from this is are we ready to talk about Garrett Wilson maybe being a legit threat that New York actually has now, um, something that they haven't had in a while? Um, I know a majority of his stats came from this game, um, but I I think he looked great. I mean, playing against a defense that is pretty much glorified around the NFL, I feel like. I um, loved his touchdown, that first touchdown he caught yeah. against Martin Emerson, that little goal line fade there. You know, he came out of his break a little slow and then kind of hit a little double move on Emerson. Emerson bit terribly, and Flacco put it right on him. And Wilson ended eight catches, 102 yards and two touchdowns. He looked really good. Flacco, like I said, 26 of 44, 307 and four touchdowns. I, I, I agree with you. I think it's time to say that Garrett Wilson was is clearly – and this is a good rookie wide receiver class. Drake London caught his first touchdown this past weekend against the Rams, you know, Chris Olave put up some nice numbers. This is a really good rookie wide receiver class. You see Jahan Dotson there with the commanders, the former Penn state and Nittany line, but Garrett Wilson clearly a cut above right now. Um, you know, the Bengals were, you know, the Bengals are near and dear to our heart because we, we all rode with them pretty hard last year on that Super Bowl run. And it's just not looking good, man. They, they, again, another thing where it's like, what is up with the pass defense? You couldn't turn Cooper Rush over at all. I mean, he goes 19 to 31, 235 and a touchdown. And he just looked comfortable. Noah Brown had five catches, 91 yards and a touchdown. It just Cooper Rush never looked uncomfortable, which is a problem if I'm the Bengals, because this is only Cooper Rush's second career start. He's pretty much a career practice squad guy. You know, and they didn't, you know, the Cowboys don't have a big name wide receiver outside of CD Lamb. And the Bengals couldn't get home with the pass rush. The secondary, Eli Apple, continues to look just garbage. And I'm worried about Joe Burrow. I don't know if you saw what I saw, but I, the O-line is struggle, specifically the tackle play. Jonah Williams, Lyle Collins, there's issues at tackle for the Bengals. But I feel like Joe Burrow might be holding on to that football a little bit longer and be a little more hesitant to let it rip this year. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of question marks around it. I don't think there's exactly one answer. I mean – Coming into this, everyone's like, oh, this offensive line is different, which it is. Um, the talent-wise, I think, is better. But just the outline performance of it is just – it's not there. And like you said, yeah, I mean, people are starting to question whether Joe Burrow is throwing the ball or not a little bit longer. Um, I've also seen questions about maybe the coaching staff. Like, is the coaching staff really – is top notch as they looked last year or was it really just the talent the raw talent of Cincinnati really carrying them along that whole year um so like I said a lot of question marks I don't think there's exactly one answer I think it's a combination of a multiple things here um one thing's for certain though they got to straighten this out um they get I, I would last week say they got a nice uh 
pick me up game here, but they're going to New York to play the Jets, who just put 31 on the Browns. Um, so I'm not sure this is an easy pickup game anymore. And then they play the Dolphins, Ravens. That two games right there is a little concerning. They play Dolphins on Thursday night football as well, so a short week for them. Cincinnati could have a lot of struggles coming up, and they could start oh, maybe oh one and four, one and I don't. I mean, they just they might only have one win in the next few weeks here. Now I'm looking at it. You know, when you talked about that Dolphins Ravens, let's talk about that game because if you got to watch the end of that game, you were in for a treat. The Dolphins come from behind, win forty two to thirty eight. Tua had his coming out party. Tank for Tua finally worked off. Tua Tagovailoa goes 36 for 50, 469 yards, ties a franchise record for touchdowns in a game. He throws six touchdowns, a record that's held by Greasy and Marino. And when you're in, you know, record books with those two guys, you're doing pretty good. You know, Tyreek Hill, 11 catches, 190 yards, two touchdowns. Jalen Waddle, 11 catches, 171 yards and two touchdowns. It finally looked like the Dolphins offense fully clicked. And I'm not going to hold this completely against the Ravens. Their secondary was absolutely decimated with injuries. I think Marcus Peters was, I think when I looked, I think their top four corners were all out with injuries. They're playing two rookies who are like fifth and sixth on the depth chart. So I'm not going to kill them for it. The Ravens looked really good. I, I don't like you blow a 21 point lead with 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter. That never sits well with me. But uh, I, I was really impressed with Tua's performance for the Dolphins this week. Right. And another question, too. I mean, I'm not dismissing anything that Tua did. It's a very impressive what he did. But people want people love comparing quarterbacks, you know, and you compare him um, in that AFC. And, I mean, really, where does he rank? I don't think he beats out a lot of the guys. I mean, I think he might still be uh, – maybe the sixth or seventh best quarterback in that division or um, in that side of the NFL. Um, I think you're actually being too kind there. I think you're being too kind, giving him sixth or seventh. I mean, it's, I've been saying it's one game. Didn't we see Nick Foles do this once too? A long time ago, I believe. So, yeah, I mean, what, why are we getting hyped about Tua doing it one game? Let's see him do it for a whole year. So, Let's go down that rabbit hole real quick because now I'm kind of interested. You got me thinking. What, what are we doing with Tua? So AFC quarterbacks, we, we clearly have Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, and Joe Burrow. Those are five that are clearly better. I think we would all agree. I think Russell Wilson also clearly. So that puts it at six. Then you have to I, – I think you have to say Derek Carr is still better than Tua. Would you agree with that? I would take Derek Carr over Tua. Matt Ryan. I know he looked terrible this past Sunday, but are you taking Matt Ryan over Tua? No. Okay, so we're we're sliding Tua somewhere around probably eight or nine at this point, right? Yeah, he, he's getting there. I, I was going to finish. I mean, you still are forgetting a couple guys like Russell Wilson maybe. Uh, Tannehill was the other one that I, I was going to debate. Was uh, I don't know. That depends on the day. Some people, I mean, some people might even throw Mac Jones in there. Mac Jones is look consistently all right. My worry with Mac Jones is just the ceiling. I don't think he's ever going to be a bad NFL quarterback. I just don't know that he'll ever be a great NFL quarterback. And that's why there is some upside, specifically with Tua in this offense with the weapons he has. You know, and that, that's why I said at the beginning of the year when I predicted that the Dolphins would win the AFC East, a prediction that's still holding strong, might I add. 
But the reason I said that was because not because of Tua at quarterback, but because of the weapons Tua has. And that's what we're seeing so far. Speaking of predictions we made to start the year, you shocked us all by saying a guy by the name of Daniel Jones was going to earn a second contract. And you've been gloating about this all weekend. So I got to turn the floor over to you. Danny Dimes, man, he's 2-0. and Listen, man, he's not he's never going to be this explosive player. He's not going to be this Patrick Mahomes. He's not going to be this Tom Brady. Um, he's, he's not going to be any of that. He's going to be his own guy. He's going to be the guy that the Giants can have. They know he can go out there and win ball games. He's going to be able to control the offense. He's going to be able to dish it out to his weapons. And that's about it. He's not going to shock you with anything crazy. Um, he's going to rely on other guys. So, like, if he, if Saquon does get hurt again this year, I see him starting to struggle a little bit. Um, but having that said, having Saquon back and healthy is an absolute huge bonus for this Giants offense. It's paid dividends. Um, but, I mean, he's got to – I mean, the stats aren't great, but at the same time, it only matters if you win the game. Who cares well, about anything else? The big thing is, is I know people are going to say, well, he's not throwing for a ton of yards. He didn't throw for 200 yards again this week. But here's the big thing with Daniel Jones. He's taking care of the football now. He's only thrown one interception this year. The fumbles are not there right now. Taking care of the football, like you said, with the talent he has around him, they don't need him to be Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. They need him to be a game manager who can just take care of the football. They beat Carolina 19-16. to so that's a nice win for them to get to 2-0 going into a Sunday, no, a Monday night football matchup with the Dallas Cowboys at home. And then you get the Bears. So really, you could be 4-0 going into a week five road game at Lambeau against the Packers. So, you know, definitely something we need to watch there with the Giants. You know, the Buccaneers, we saw Mike Evans. He got suspended for a game without pay today because of the uh, temper tantrum he threw where he shoved Marshawn Lattimore in the back in that Bucks saints game. Uh, the Buccaneers offense continues to just not be impressive. They only put up 20 points. They win 20 to 10. The defense looks legit. They caused Jameis to go back to the Jameis before LASIK surgery, where he today, he, you know, he goes 25 of 40, 236, one touchdown and three picks. Uh, Chris Olave, like we talked about, he was their leading receiver for the saints had five catches for 80 yards, but I just, Brady didn't throw for 200 yards. That's probably my biggest takeaway from that game. He was 18 and 34 for 190 yards. That, that to me tells me everything I need to know. I don't think Tampa Bay is a legit Super Bowl contender. Would Do you still feel somewhat good about Tampa Bay in their chances in the playoffs, or are you out on them at this point too? I mean, has, it, has anyone ever made a living off counting Tom Brady out? I mean, I don't want to pull a Max Kellerman because Max Kellerman is probably one of the most famous. It's time to hang it up, Brady. And then what did Brady do Win like two or three more Super Bowls after that take? I'm just going to say that those who are not foolish never count Tom Brady out. Another guy who's able to just control that offense and do what he needs to do to win. I mean, Tom, Tom Brady's 45 years old. He doesn't have to throw for 350, 400 yards a game, um, even let alone 250. As long as he's getting the ball down the field, he's moving that offense at a progression that gets him to win the game, I don't see the issue. I do worry a little bit with the weapons. You know, coming into the year, you had Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Julio Jones. Julio missed this game. Chris Godwin missed this game. So the injuries concern me a little bit. You know, the other team I want to talk about, 
is I might have to adopt this football team, if nothing else, because of their coaching staff, the Detroit Lions. They beat the Commanders 36-27. Jared Goff it looks like a viable NFL quarterback again. He goes 20-34, 256, and four touchdowns. Amon Ross St. Brown continuing to look like a solid wide receiver. He led the Lions in rushing yards with 68 yards rushing, but also had nine catches for 116 yards and two touchdowns. You know, and here's the crazy thing. The commanders are one and one, but Carson Wentz turned in another good performance for them. He goes 30 of 46, 337 yards passing, three touchdowns and a pick. I just really love this Lions team. I don't know if you saw after the game, but when, you know, the players go up for press conferences at the end of the game, the Lions sent reserve offensive lineman Dan Skipper to be the first guy who talked at the podium. And the reason that's so prevalent is because Dan Skipper has been in the NFL for six years got his first time at, le- I believe it was left guard in this game. He'd never played left guard before, but had to come in and play. And Skipper got cut by the Lions in the preseason. He's primarily been a practice squad guy his whole career. And so Dan Campbell wanted to show, I'm going to recognize everybody, not just the name stay guys. And I think that's why the Lions have bought in and played so hard through two weeks this year. I mean, I say true where I said I would run through a wall for Coach Campbell. That guy knows how to get a team fired up. He's a team chemistry kind of guy I think the Lions I mean you look at the talent they have they do have talent on that team but when you compare it to other NFL teams they they're not um even close to the top so the fact that he can get this kind of performance out of his guys I think shows dividends of what he's capable to do wait till he gets some of these younger guys like St. Brown to develop a little bit more um but yeah I like the Lions they're going to win a few games this year they're not going to be the 0 and 17 Lions that we're used to seeing or the 1 and 16 Lions they'll win a few games this year make it interesting um I wouldn't count them out at all for any game honestly um I like them a lot you know we have to talk a little bit about Trey Lance and the 49ers it was unfortunate he had the ankle surgery today his season's over and he had started that game two for three for 30 yards actually didn't look that bad but he did get hurt season over Jimmy Garoppolo comes in, goes 13 to 21, 154 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions. The 49ers beat the Seahawks 27 to seven. And this is where I'm going to start with this take. First and foremost, you know, I hope Trey Lance heals. He had, he didn't look good in the first game, but I obviously wanted to see what could he do, you know, and for 49ers fans, you kind of have to hope that Trey Lance heals up next year and is really good because you traded multiple first round picks in multiple drafts to go up and get him. So you need him to pan out or else you've wasted a ton of draft capital. I will say hats off to John Lynch for staying the course for when Jimmy Garoppolo was basically not coming to the facility. He John Lynch could have moved off Garoppolo for a fifth or sixth round pick to some of these quarterback needy teams, but he didn't. He held out. He understood that a guy like Garoppolo is going to command more And he held on to Garoppolo. He got Garoppolo to restructure. Now, I think that was in the event that another team's quarterback got hurt. But lo and behold, it ends up being Trey Lance that gets hurt. Garoppolo comes in. And I have to say, the 49ers are back to me to being a legit threat now that they have at least a viable quarterback there right now. Now you don't have to go through the rookie growing pains of Trey Lance. Yeah. um, I I never wish injury on anyone, but – the Trey Lance injury might be a blessing for this season's sake for 49er fans. I do think their chances of going to playoffs has increased a lot. Um, I like 
what they're going to be able to do now with Jimmy G, a veteran guy who knows how to come in with the offense that he's got. He's got a high-powered offense. He's got a lot of weapons. Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, uh, when Kittle gets back in healthy, he's great. I mean, they they got a lot on that offense. And um, Jimmy, a guy that's really played with them a lot, I mean, he knows them in and out, and he's going to be able to win them some games. Man, we got breaking news. Folks, we're filming at 9.55 on Monday night. So Monday night football is currently going on. Malik Willis time has arrived, my friend. The Titans are down 41-7 to in the third quarter. Ryan Tannehill just threw a pick six, and Mike Vrabel said, I've had enough. Give me Malik Willis. Malik, Malik Willis is in the game, man. Tannehill went 11 of 20 for 117 yards and two picks in this game. The Titans are getting eviscerated. They're going to fall to 0-2. And, you know, the reason I bring this up is Derrick Henry, again, a poor performance, 13 carries and only 25 yards to this point. Um, I could definitely see the Titans giving Malik Willis a viable shot, but really the reason I bring this score up is because I think through two weeks, you know, we talked about at the beginning that this is professional football and on any given Sunday, anyone can beat anyone. But through two weeks, I feel very confident after the Chiefs had a pretty solid performance on Thursday night football against the Chargers, went in 27 to 24. I feel confident in saying the best two teams in football are in the AFC, and it's not even close. The Bills and the Chiefs are the best two teams. I also feel confident in saying that I may have been wrong and you may have been right. The Josh Allen for MVP through two weeks, he's 26 of 38, 317 and four touchdowns today. Josh Allen for MVP may have been a solid pick by you. Um, I don't think that that's, that's not going to be the only time you're going to be saying those words. Um, I think you're going to be taking back a lot of stuff you said about my picks um, throughout this year for football in general. Um, I will give props to your Chiefs, though. Now looking at what they're able to do still without Tyree Kill, which I didn't think was going to like take them from a playoff team to not playoff team. Obviously not. But what they were able to do was such a smart move because now they have draft capital. Now they can draft some young guys for low cap onto that team, and they're going to be able to be really good for the next however many years Patrick Mahomes is still there. Because that is a A-plus move on the front office for the Chiefs. Because now you're sitting with all those first-round picks that you got from Miami, and you still have a really good team. You know, and we I tweeted this out last night. I know it's early. I know we're only two weeks into the season, but I think the Dolphins and Chiefs both won the trade. I talked about how, you know, Tua's weapons look great and the numbers Tyreek Hill put up, the numbers Jalen Waddle put up. But the big thing for the Chiefs, and like you alluded to, is they have defensive talent. They were able to draft Trent McDuffie, the corner out of Washington, get George Karloftis, the D end out of Purdue, and they still have more first round picks to work with so they can sure up the defense. They can sure up the offensive line. If Orlando Brown jr. Doesn't want to resign there. And I, you look at the receivers, Marquez Valdez, Scantley, Juju, Juju Smith, Schuster, Travis Kelsey still doing his thing. The offense is not skipping a beat at all. I have to agree with you. It is just a great move. You know, I'm not going to harp on some of these other games. You know, the big other takeaways I had were the Broncos don't look good still. They only beat the Texans 16 to nine. This is the second straight week. The offense has skipped, you know, failed to score 20 points in a game against two mediocre football teams in the Seahawks and Texans. So I feel really good about my pick that the Broncos aren't going to make the playoffs this year because that offense just does not look good. You know, 
those those were really my big takeaways. I was glad to see the Packers at least get back on track for the sake of the fact that I need them to make the playoffs. You know, I, I need the Packers to look good. But you have one team you want to talk about, and I would be remiss if we didn't because we alluded to the quarterback earlier, and that's the Indianapolis Colts and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Matt Ryan goes 16-30, 195 yards, and three interceptions. But I think the story here is Jacksonville. Christian Kirk has looked really good through two weeks. He had six catches, 78 yards, and two touchdowns. And Trevor Lawrence is starting to look like a number one overall pick. He went 25-30, 235 yards, and two touchdowns. You know, James Robinson, even with Travis Etienne coming back healthy, James Robinson still getting over 20 carries. He had 64 yards in a touchdown. Jacksonville's one-on-one. They played the commanders really tough. And Jacksonville, you know, they got a tough one coming up here next week, a 405 kickoff against the Chargers. But I really do feel like Jacksonville's going to be a competitive football team this year. And I think Trevor Lawrence is going to help turn that franchise around. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not here to start calling them that they're going to make the playoffs or, well, they might. I mean, that division's up for grabs after watching that. Um, really, I just want to put on the Colts. I mean, this Colts offense was kind of hyped up. You got Jonathan Taylor, everyone's super excited about. You got Matt Ryan to come in and take the reins. You got some weapons like Pittman on that offense, who I think was out for that game, was he? Correct, yes. Michael yeah. Pittman was out for that game. So, I mean, you're, you're missing him on that one. But they just didn't perform, obviously, having no points at all. Jonathan Taylor only with nine carries for 54 yards, which is still pretty good. Um, his longest was a 21-yard rush. Just, I think, really good game control by Jacksonville and um, well played all around for the Jags. You know, you talked about the Jags may not make the playoffs, but if the season ended today, Jacksonville's in. Right now, Jacksonville and Houston look like the best teams in the AFC South. I, I do take that back. They The only shot they have of making the playoffs is winning that division, which it's anyone's. It's an absolute crapshoot at this point, but – Man, I mean, it was a great week three of college. It was a great week two of the NFL. I can't wait to see what we're predicting on Friday. We've got a great interview, though, coming out on Wednesday. Uh, I did an interview with a former D3 tight end, Tommy Oje, a former pro in Austria, also played in the fan control football. He's getting ready for the XFL drafts. I sat down, did an interview with him. We're going to be putting that one out on Wednesday for you guys. But that's all we got for you guys today. Like I always tell you guys, rate, subscribe, and review to the podcast. Until next time, though, we'll see you guys later. Have a good one.